0: Everybody, welcome to the Four Pillar Fitness Podcast. I'm Coach Phil Houston. And I've got some good stuff for you today. Uh, first, a little bit of housekeeping and a quick word from our sponsor. If you're listening to us on iTunes, uh, do me a favor, drop us a five star rating. Let other folks know there's some value here as well. Um, and if you're looking to find me, I'm, I can be found on Instagram at Coach Phil Houston, it's H U E S T O N, on Twitter at Phil Houston, also H U E S T O N, and at my website, CoachPhilHouston.com. Now, a quick word from our sponsor and then on with the show. All right, now on to our topic for today, Um, youth football, concussions, and brain injuries. What's the real danger? Um, A lot of concentration, a lot of focus around concussions, especially in football. The National Football League has done a lot about it. Uh, We're going to talk about it today, okay? Every autumn weekend in the U.S., thousands of youngsters, uh, kids as young as five years old, strap the pads on, lace up their cleats, and get after each other on the football field. I'm a big football fan. I always have been. I played in high school, played in college, played rugby in college, love contact sports in general. However, fewer and fewer of the kids out there are playing contact football. We're seeing more and more movement over to flag football, soccer to other other sports. By the way, soccer doesn't get away from the concussion thing. Very high number of concussions, particularly in girls soccer, but we're not going to address that today. We're going to talk mostly about football and a lot about brain injuries and concussions. Um, parents are very concerned about concussions they are concerned about brain injuries, concerned about brain damage. Uh, most people, most parents say their kids seem like they're <laughs> already brain damaged they have to the time. Anyway, let's not make it worse. Right. But proponents of football say there's a little to worry about and they point to improvements made in helmet technology, shoulder pads, or other equipment, as well as the improvements in concussion diagnosis and treatment. The national football league has spent millions of dollars trying to mitigate the risk of concussions and concussion related problems. Uh, football organizations at all levels are educating players, parents, and coaches about preventing concussions or minimizing their impact should they occur. Academia is researching concussions and concussion-related problems with a real sense of urgency. Equipment manufacturers are producing new and better equipment to reduce the likelihood and frequency of concussions really on what seems like a daily basis. It's pretty clear there's an all-hands-on-deck campaign to figure out the concussion problem in American football and in other sports, too. But what if all these advocates, coaches, educators, researchers, parents, and manufacturers are just missing the point? What if concussions are just the tip of the iceberg as it relates to brain damage that football can inflict on players? Unfortunately, it's pretty much what it looks starting to look like here, right? As the research continues into how tackle football affects brain health, we're learning that chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, a condition associated with concussions, isn't the only brain damage we need to concern ourselves with in relation to tackle football. In case you've been living under a rock, I'm going to go over what CTE is. Um, CTE is a neurodegenerative disease. That means it breaks down the brain. Okay. It breaks down brain tissue, um, neurons, synapses, all those things in, in the brain. It was originally believed to occur only to people who'd suffered multiple head injuries. In fact, originally, uh, the original CTE research was done on boxers and it was called dementia pugilistica. So it was a dementia of boxers uh, because they took, you know, constant head strikes. Now as glove technology has gotten better, gotten not, not quite as damaging, um, we see a little bit less of that in boxing, but still, still quite a bit. Uh, more me- recent research has indicated, and this is important, guys, this is very important here, CTE may occur in those who've had multiple head strikes, even if no injury was reported. Dr. Lee Goldstein is an associate professor of psychiatry at Boston University and co-author of a groundbreaking study on head impact, brain trauma, concussions, and CTE said, it's the hits to the head, not concussion, that trigger CTE. Read that again for you guys, I'll say it again. It's the hits to the head, not the concussions necessarily that trigger CTE. CTE is a serious and often deadly condition. Those of us who are football fans, we know the stories. Junior Seau, Jovan Belcher, Aaron Hernandez, just three of them, right? All of whom were confirmed as having CTE. If you, don't, if you don't know the stories, Junior Seau killed himself. Jovan Belcher killed his, I think his girlfriend or his wife. I'm sorry. I apologize for not remembering which. And then drove to the stadium and killed himself right in front of his head coach and the GM. And Aaron Hernandez, we all know that story. Committed murder, wound up killing himself in prison. Terrible stories, all of them affected by concussions and CTE. Well, we don't know about concussion, but CTE for sure. In in a Boston U study, CTE was present in the brains of 90 out of 94 deceased former NFL players. Additionally, hundreds of living retired NFL players have been diagnosed with symptoms of CTE or ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease, also a degenerative brain disease. Included in this group are such well-known names as Brett Favre, Tony Dorsett, or Dorsett, sorry guys, and Jim McMahon. Now, I could read off hundreds of names. There are guys, I, I'm looking at the list and saying to myself, I know these guys. I watched these guys play. I grew up watching them play. And they're all, they're all having problems now in some way, shape, or form. Some of the players, whether they're, they're alive or dead, have been diagnosed, never reported or were diagnosed with a concussion. That's super important for you guys to understand. These are some of these guys now have CTE symptoms or other neurodegenerative brain disease symptoms, and they never reported a concussion in their entire career. Not saying they didn't have one, they just never thought, never had one bad enough that they felt they had a report. This whole idea lends credibility to the idea that repeated subconcussive head contacts are the real underlying cause of CTE and other brain injuries. Think of it this way. If you take a wooden mallet, like the ones used for cracking crabs, and you just start to tap lightly on the side of a glass, not hard, just lightly, you're probably not going to break anything. But over time, the glass will weaken and eventually the structure may become so weak that it breaks without being hit. The human brain is like the glass. The subconcussive hits are like the mallet. No obvious damage from each hit, but over time, over time, things happen. Okay. And this is exactly what recent research is telling us in a study presented at the 2018 annual meeting of the radiological society of North America. If they concluded that a single season of youth tackle football may result in disrupted brain development for athletes aged 8 to 13 years old. This is a really big, big, detailed study. What they did was the researchers used what's called a HIT system, H-I-T-S, or Head Impact Telemetry System, which employs helmets lined with accelerometers and sensors that measure the magnitude, the location, and the direction of impacts to the head. They established a preseason baseline for each player in the study using a functional MRI or fMRI. Postseason tests revealed something really disturbing. Regardless of concussion risk or reporting, the players exhibited a significant reduction in gray matter pruning in what's called the default mode network. That's a series of structures deep within the gray matter areas of the brain that are involved in higher cognitive functions, such as planning and controlling social behaviors. So these guys were gonna be less likely to be able to control their social outbursts or deal with their social emotions that's tough especially if you're an athlete but it's tough for anybody so um, God, i'm gonna, sorry i may i may mangle this name i apologize gautham krishnan marugasan i think i got that who's a master of science and research assistant in the department of radiology at university of texas southwestern medical center in dallas said disruption in normal in normal pruning has been shown to be related to weaker connections between different parts of the brain our study has found a significant decrease in gray matter pruning in the frontal default mode network. Pruning is an essential part of brain development. By getting rid of the synapses that are no longer used, the brain becomes more efficient with aging. So a single series season of youth tackle football negatively impacted the default mode network and the gray matter pruning in areas of the brain that were gonna help connect other areas of the brain together and make, it, make them become more efficient. You need your synapses to get pruned and modified over time so that you can get better at the skills that you need to repeat and the things that you need to be able to do in your daily life. It's very, very important. Over Wake Forest University, researchers found evidence of damage to white matter tracts, which is something completely different, but still has a similar severity here. Bundles of nerve fib- These are bundles of nerve fibers that carry signals between parts of the brain. In particular, they noted degenerations, swelling, and contractions in the corpus callosum. It's a, This is a critically important band of nerve fibers that, that connects the right and left hemispheres of the brain. The corpus callosum integrates cognitive, sensory, and motor functions between the two sides of the brain. None of the players involved, all 9 to 12 years old, had reported a concussion previously. So the hits they all took – I'm sorry. So that – therefore, we know the hits they took were all subconcussive at lower than that, that they weren't going to break the glass with the mallet. Let's put it that way. The years from – and and – Jung Chul Kim, who's the lead author of the study, said the years from age 9 to 12 are very important when it comes to brain development. The functional regions of the brain are starting to integrate with one another and players exposed to repetitive brain injuries, even if the amount of impact is small, could be at risk. Now, I had a fantastic conversation with, with, with um, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, the brain diva, <laughs> Carrie Bone, Carrie Bone. Well, wow, I can't believe I botched that. I'm sorry, Carrie. I, pro- I apologize. I had a great conversation with Carrie Bone. Uh, a few weeks back on the Friday Happy Hour, talking about, we, she's, she's a brilliant brain, uh, brain researcher and does a lot of great work with, with uh, uh, neurological um, stuff, for lack of a better word, and with, with general mental conditioning, mental toughness for women and men and executives. But she's really keenly interested in the concussion issue. And we had a really long conversation about this, because her husband is still suffering from post-concussive syndrome, like a lot of us who played football in the 70s and 80s are. And he's having some issues with, dementia, with, with, I'm sorry, with the depression and anxiety. And all these things are tied together. If you can't integrate your cognitive and sensory and emotional centers, it's going to be a real problem. And not everybody who has these problems has had a massive major concussion, is that nothing has something they had to report. Some people just haven't, okay? Um, and this is really important for us to, to address. In another shocking study, a brilliant neuropathologist who has done some huge groundbreaking work on this um, by the name of Dr. Ann McKee and her team, they went looking for what are called tau proteins in 211 deceased football players who'd been diagnosed with CTE. Tau proteins are associated with CTE and they kill brain cells. Her expectation is she'd find, was that she'd find lots of tau proteins in the, in the players who started playing at the game at a young age. But what was surprising was it turned out the age of playing onset didn't correlate with tau protein levels, meaning the length of time playing didn't necessarily influence the severity of CTE. What she discovered, however, should concern players and players and parents everywhere. The players who started playing as children suffered symptoms of brain damage and disease earlier in their lives than those who started later in life. I'm going to say that again. The players who started playing as children suffered symptoms of brain damage and disease earlier in their lives than those who started later in life. In other words, The severity of the CTE that they were later diagnosed with wasn't any more severe because they started at a young age, but they started suffering symptoms of of brain problems earlier in their their lives. 84 of the 211 players whose brains were studied began playing before age 12. Please listen to this. Every single one of them had suffered cognitive move and behavior symptoms by age 13. Now, 12 to 13 is a critical age for brain development really super critical because by that time, the brain is fully developed size wise as a percentage of body weight, but there's just billions of neurons being connected, disconnected, pruned, modified, adjusted, reassigned. And if you disrupt that process, you really put your kids in a bad spot. And please understand, I'm coming to this from the position where I love football. I love to watch kids play football. I played it. It's a great game. All right. But we got to be real with this stuff, folks. In fact, comparatively, regarding these kids, each one year that a player started playing football, I'm sorry, each year earlier, sorry, each one year earlier that a player started playing football, predicted earlier onset of cognitive mood, and behavioral problems by 2.44 years. So each year earlier, so if I, if I start playing at 13, I get one level, but if I move back to 12, right, I can expect to have, start having problems with my mood and my behavior and my cognitive cognition two and a half years earlier in my life and McKees was quoted as saying it's as though the brain of these people who started playing early football was less resilient to pathology it's sort of like they have a weakened nervous system and set you up early for earlier onset of any of these disorders that was a surprising finding unquote this is not unlike the idea of early specialization where kids stop doing lots of different things and start narrowing down their athletic skill set to a small number of things. And then they, get, they put themselves at a much higher risk for injury. This is the same concept, okay? Except we're not necessarily talking about one sport kids. The earlier you start playing football, the earlier you're gonna start seeing these problems. Now, does this mean every single person who plays football is gonna have problems with mood, cognition, and behavior? No, it doesn't. But what it means is every single child who starts playing early is at risk for these things. Just like everybody who plays, period, is at risk for them. Thirty-five player brains did not have CTE in this particular study. However, those who started playing before age 12 had onset of cognitive symptoms by an average had onset of cognitive symptoms by an average of 20 years earlier. Sorry, by an average of 20 years old. Mood and behavior symptoms kicked in an average of 22 years earlier for them than anybody not playing football and not having these problems. Equally as disturbing was a revelation that 26 of those 35 had other neuropathological problems like axonal injuries, frontotemporal lobe degeneration. You can't have your frontal lobes, any of them degenerate, guys. It's not good for you. Alzheimer's and Lewy body pathology. Now, you might recall that Robert Williams died of Lewy body dementia, and his last couple of years were really rough. His wife has written about it, and it's it's really, it's just heart-wrenching. All right, Lewy bodies are microscopic proteins that develop in the brain, and they lead to cognitive dysfunction, mood changes, sleep disorders, dementia, and eventually even movement disorders and a kind of paralysis. It's the second most common form of dementia behind Alzheimer's. So even if the risk of concussion was eliminated from tackle football, other, and I would say arguably more serious risks still remain. It seems virtually impossible to remove subconcussive impacts from the game. The very fabric of football is contact. And it's what attracts so many fans like me and players like me alike to it. But the reality remains, kids' brains are at risk in tackle football. So what should be done? Well, in 2015, the American Academy of Pediatrics issued a paper called Tackling in Youth Football. In it, they had some of the following recommendations, and some of these are pretty solid. Officials and coaches must enforce the rules of proper tackling, including zero tolerance for illegal head-first hits. I think we've moved in that direction pretty solidly. Maybe a little bit too far. Players have to decide whether the benefits of playing outweigh the risk of possible injury. Right? At what point should you start playing? Non-tackling leagues should be expanded so athletes can choose to participate without the injury risks associated with tackling. I would agree with that. Skilled athletic trainers should be available on the sidelines, as evidence shows they can reduce the number of injuries for players. Again, I would agree with that too. If you can get afford, if you can afford to get one there, right? But if we're talking youth football, it might be kind of difficult to have an athletic trainer there all the time, all right? Every year, you have to spend an entire Sunday out on the field. They also address the off suggested idea of delaying the introduction of tackling until athletes are older and, according to some, better able to absorb contact. Well, the American Academy of Pediatrics recognized the obvious paradox there. There's a quote from one, of the, from one of their members, delaying the introduction of tackling until a certain age may reduce the risk of injury for ages when tackling is prohibited, but this could lead to an even higher rate of injury when tackling is later introduced if players have their first tackling experiences when they're older, stronger, and bigger. Pretty good logic right there. I can't disagree with them. But you, you need to, we need to find a balance, right? We need to figure it out. The NFL has gone to a practice schedule, which reduces the frequency of contact during practices. The obvious problem with this at the youth level is that, is that it is at that level that children are learning to hit and be hit. The players in the NFL are experts at this already, hence their professional status. New York, New Jersey, California, and Illinois have all had bills introduced in their legislatures banning tackle football in some way in those states. The most popular version of this idea would ban children under 12 from playing tackle football. Now this may or may not be the answer, most likely it isn't. But here's a few things you can do to minimize your risk of concussion for your athlete. First, ensure that playing surfaces are well-maintained and don't contain holes or divots in the ground that could cause athletes to fall or trip. There's no reason to add potential head contact with the ground to all the other issues that take place in football. Ensure that all the equipment including their helmets and padding fits properly. Understand that kids are different from adults and they're constantly growing and changing. Recognize that strength and control of the head improves as children develop. Get your players some real core training, not abs, not sit-ups, real core training that includes relative sorry, reactive core strength and anti-rotation training. Core strength is in, is very important to supporting the spine, right? And the spine supports the neck and the skull and by extension the brain. So get that core stronger and that spine will have a much better reactive strength. Lastly, strengthen the neck. According to one study for every pound of increased neck strength, concussion risk is reduced by 5%. Now, I don't know if that's exactly right, but I do know that for my athletes that are stronger in the neck, they tend to have fewer concussions. For me personally, the idea that tackle football would ever go away because of the risk of debilitating brain injury and damage is not a happy prospect. However, we each get just one brain. We can't live without it. So my hope is that we find a way to minimize the dangers so that we can all enjoy the game with a lot less fear. Because football is a great American game, and I think we would all love to see it continue to be played. But we also want to make sure that our kids' brains are not at risk because that's not that's not worth it. It's never worth it. This has been Coach Phil Houston for the, for the Four Pillar Fitness Podcast. You know where you can find me on uh, Instagram, at Coach Phil Houston, H-U-E-S-T-O-N. On Twitter, at Phil Houston. Again, spelled the same way, H-U-E-S-T-O-N. At my website, CoachPhilHouston.com. Again, H-U-E-S-T-O-N is the last name. Spell it right, you'll be able to find me. Keep the faith and keep after it, and have a fantastic day.